Welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast, a podcast created to provide information about what life is like inside the most specialized special tactics organization in the U.S. Air Force. In these episodes, we'll be bringing you the experiences from many of our experts, ranging from our human performance optimization staff, our combat mission supporters, as well as our special warfare operators. Our main objective with these podcasts are to provide the listener with a unique look inside our culture of excellence in hopes that you will make the 724 a future career goal. Now sit back, relax, take some notes, prepare to hear from some of the Air Force's finest. Thank you for joining us on the Insight Through Experience podcast. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Insight Through Experience podcast. This week's going to be a fun one. We're starting a new series that I'm dubbing the Roundtable Discussions. And this week's going to be an operator roundtable. And what does that mean? I invited five of the operators that I most respect inside the organization that I think are just fantastic examples of what we should all be striving for when it comes to, you know, being an operator inside of ST. Um, you know, and we also brought a diversity of AFSCs. And the whole intent of this is um, we're just going to throw out some questions to the table and let the guys weigh in and give their opinions on these questions to hopefully reveal what life is like inside the 724 to give you a snapshot of some culture, uh, some of the benefits that these guys have experienced since they've been up here, um, some of the reasoning why they're still up here, and maybe more importantly, the experiences they've had since they've been here. Now, it's important to note, as always, we can't cross over any classification line, so we're keeping this definitely at the unclass level. and I think the guys did fantastically well at, at doing that, but also being forthright and revealing everything that they can. And, you know, there's six people sitting in this room, including myself, and we all took these two hours out of our day just to help you that's sitting out there on the fence trying to make a decision. Is this a, a good move for me or my family? We just want to reveal the information to make that decision easier for you because none of us had information like this when we had to make that decision for ourselves um, when we were sitting in your position. So hopefully that comes across genuinely. Uh, these guys are guys that really care about this organization, but also care about ST and rescue in general. So we just want to keep making the process better. Um, so hopefully you'll enjoy this episode. Give us feedback. You can go over to YouTube and leave comments. And let us know what else you want to hear after this. And we're going to get some support folks in the future in the roundtable. And uh, we'll go from here. We'll see where this leads us. All right, y'all. Hope y'all enjoyed this discussion. Shout out to Murph, to Eric, to Dwayne, to Jared, and to Garen for sitting down with me and taking time out of their busy days. All right, y'all. Like I always say, sit back, grab some caffeine, grab a notebook because they're going to be dropping some knowledge. Hope you enjoy this episode of the Insight Through Experience podcast. Let's go. All right, welcome, Jess. Thanks, thanks for coming to do this seriously. First off, for um, taking some time out of your day. So we're going to start. We're going to go around the table real quick. This is our first round table ever. So we're going to go ahead and start. We're going to let Murph start us off and just describe. Murph, let us know what drove you up here from your last unit. Why did you decide to apply for the 724? And what are you oriented against right now for the unit? Uh, thanks, Trey. Um, Murph here, Tech P. Um, what drove me up to the unit was uh, to be a part of the most highly trained and most motivated group of people at ST. Um, I also wanted to take part in the most uh, important missions sets here in the country. Uh, right now, I'm currently a cadre for the Datamast Units training course. My name is Eric. I'm a 19 Zulu. I've been up at the unit for coming on five years. 
The uh, reason I came up to the unit was the really the mission and the chance to work with the people that make up the unit here. Currently, I'm sitting in uh, as the OPSO for one of the OP squadrons at the unit. Hey, thanks, Drake. Yeah, my name is Dwayne. I'm a combat controller up here at the unit. I've been here for about 15 years. What drove me up to the unit was I knew there was something bigger out there. I just wanted to be a part of something else. I wasn't getting that need fulfilled at the two-series unit that I was at, so I wanted to come up and be a part of this unit. I'm going to be surrounded by you know, the best talent that the Aspect Warfare has to offer. Um, my current position, I'm part of the Recruit, Assess, Select, Develop team. Uh, so we run all the recruiting for the uh, operator side of the house as well as the combat mission support side of the house. And then we facilitate all the selections uh, for operator and combat mission support as well. Uh, in addition, we run a development program, uh, which we can talk about a little bit later. But uh, that, that's my current position, part of the uh, recruit assess like development team. This is Jared. Um, been up here for seven years. I'm a TL on one of the troops at uh, one of the operational squadrons. Uh, what brought me up here was uh, an augmentation uh, back in 2012 and saw the reach and capability of the command and knew that there was a lot more out there uh, than what the traditional two series ST units had to offer and that's when I decided to come up. Garen, combat controller, went through OTC in 18, uh, the previous little over a decade it was a guard STS. Uh, I was working myself into more of a managerial position, I felt like I still had a lot to offer operationally. And uh, from everything that I heard, this was a place to be, to be doing really significant operations. And I actually was going through Freefall JM with Jared, and he kind of re-sparked my, my interest in this organization. And uh, it was the best thing I ever did in my career. Awesome. So for the audience, we're going to do more of these, but we probably won't be able to fill the room with as much talent as you just heard and, and guys that have been here as long as they have. So. Um, I'm going to throw out the first question to the roundtable, and how this is going to go, we're going to throw out a question, we're going to give the chance for guys to answer. Um, some guys may not have an answer for a question, or somebody may have said what they wanted to say, so we'll see how that goes. And then at the end of my four questions-ish, um, the guys will start throwing out questions for the roundtable, and we'll just move on from there. Intent of this is just to give enough information or get the information out there so you can kind of understand what the culture is like inside the organization so you can make a good decision if this feels like a right decision for you to put in an application and come up and assess. All right, so let's start it out. And, Dwayne, I'm going to pinpoint you first and let you start us off. So why is this a good time for operators to come to the unit, do you think? For me, uh, Trey, why is it a good time to come to the unit right now? It's because obviously there's a lot of unknowns out there. We're unsure what that future is going to look like. There's a lot of unknowns with AFSOC and how that's going to play into what's coming up in the future. But one thing's for certain, you know, whatever we're looking at in the future, we will be there. We'll be at the forefront of that uh, that operation, that mission, whatever it is. Whether it's, you know, obviously the, uh, the extremist organizations aren't going away. Uh, so we'll still have that mission set here. Uh, we'll always be attached to that mission set. And then if we're looking at uh, strategic competition, peer, near peer, whatever you want to call it, whatever the term is for the day, uh, we'll be uh, involved in that as well. So there's no better place to be to uh, get your get trained up and train and get equipped to go out and, and to uh, tackle what's next uh, for, the, uh, for the nation. Murph here. I think a, uh, another great reason to come up here is if you just look in the news of what's going on today, um, you've got uh, major uh, Russian um, revanchism going on and uh, changing of how the entire uh, dynamic of geopolitics works. Um, whenever something like this happens, there are 
proxy wars, um, hot wars cooking off at all times, and this is the organization that is truly the tip of the spear. So if you want to do your job, now and here is the best place to do that at. Man, from my perspective, uh, there's never not been a good time to come to this unit. It's at the forefront of uh, what goes on um, from a military's, from our military's perspective. You know, this unit has a standing mission that's never going to go away. Uh, so there's always going to be work to do in the in the realm that that we're tasked with. And then anytime something new springs up, um, this unit is a part of our nation's response uh, to the to the newest thing. So it's it's always at the forefront. It's always on the leading edge of uh, this nation's response to whatever's going on in the world. Uh, along the same lines as Eric, uh, there really never has been a bad time to come up here. Uh, like you said, this is the tip of the spear, kind of what everyone signed up to do when they saw the pamphlet at MEPS. Uh, but along those lines, it, we're in an interesting spot because we have a completely different opcon chain of command uh, than our adcon chain of command, which gives us a lot of free maneuver, gives us a lot of different opportunities to tackle problems and mission sets that aren't available outside of this command. So if you're uh, one of those guys that's kind of on the fence about, you know, sticking around, uh, maybe re-enlisting or not re-enlisting, and you feel a little unfulfilled in your military career, uh, now would be a great time to come up and assess. I think it'll open a lot of doors for you, uh, and it might reinvigorate your passion for what you uh, signed up to do. I think we've been saying a lot of the same thing as far as, uh, you know, the most strategic uh, strategically impactful operations are taking place up within this command, um, but also the most daring operations with the most highly trained and best problem solvers in the world. And uh, if that's not enough to bring somebody up here, I don't really know what is. As a recruiter, like I'm willing to reach out as far into the future as we can for folks, and there's a huge audience that are thinking about coming in aspect war in general, right? So. For those guys, what is the difference? Even when they come through the pipeline, they really don't understand the difference. Hey, I'm going to go out to my unit, and what y'all are saying is what I think I'm going to be doing. So mm -hmm. help help the audience understand why is it different. Not that it's better or worse. We're always saying that. Like what's going on outside the fence line is very important. But what's the difference that we can explain to them of why this should be maybe a place, you know, a future assignment on their career path? One of the differences is just the chain of command uh, that this unit falls under and how short that chain of command is to national decision makers, um, which means you know, when, when something happens and a response is needed, you know, because there's that short chain of command, uh, this command and this unit, you are often the ones uh, that are called on to, you know, to go do the nation's bidding. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and because of those tasks that are given to us, uh, it opens up a lot of avenues for us to be able to get creative in the solutions that we come up with. When you start looking at, you know, the administrative portion of what it takes to accomplish some of these major operations, from budget to manning to logistics, you won't have that kind of support anywhere other than up here. Uh, you are literally having the nation uh, and their decision makers and their policy makers behind your back uh, to get what you want across the goal line. If I'm speaking to a young guy about uh, why this would be a valuable place for his career, if you look at the operational timeline of ST over a while, it's, it's kind of a sine wave. I know we've been pretty heavy the last like decade or two. 
uh, but it's it's kind of up and down. There's true pushes and troop drawbacks, but up here the gas is always on the pedal because they always need guys solving the world's toughest problems. Drew, I think one of the other aspects uh, to to your question is the the level of networking that goes on here across not just the DOD but across uh, all government organizations is what makes this this command successful. Um, that was something that I hadn't experienced until um, until coming up here. And you know, as an officer, like I came up at uh, 12 years into my career, so a little bit later than most guys, um, and was blown away by just the touch points that you had into all different avenues of uh, the United States government and the impacts that that then has on being able to get after and accomplish your mission. Uh, just to uh, carry on with what Eric was saying, uh, to take it a little bit further, is, uh, this unit is just the most flexible place that I've been at. I'm a, I'm a TACP, um, you know, focused on CAS until I got up here, and up, and now I'm not doing any of that. You know, I've uh, interfaced with uh, ambassadors, other governmental organizations, agencies, um, and done things way outside the scope of what I ever thought I'd do in my military career. I don't think you get that anywhere else. What do you guys think? Operators will struggle with when they come up here. I, you know, we're always talking about the positive stuff. So, what are some things that we can reveal to them that they're going to have to consider also when they make the decision to come up? Trey, this is Eric. I think one of the things that anybody's going to struggle with, um, you know, coming into this organization is that you're uh, you're a, a small fish in a big pond now. You know, you're working with the best, not only in the Air Force, but the best in the rest of the DOD, the best in, you know, uh, the interagency and, in, in, you know, all of the U.S. government. And to, to be frank, you're, you're working with the best from other nations as well. And so, you know, um, it's going to be challenging. You're going to you're going to see yourself fail at some things um, and you have to be willing to accept that and and use it as an opportunity for growth. And just approach things from a, a humble perspective. So I think that's a challenge for some guys coming in here is just um, realizing that there, are, you know, there is someone better than you at, at just about everything up here. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Garen. Again, that, I think that humility is key. A lot of guys that come up here are, you know, the best at their organization when they come up here, and you'll find that you're sur- surrounded by the most talented. Uh, operators on the planet here and that should be a driving force to help push you. You shouldn't scare a guy. Uh, you should look forward to that. For those guys to take you to the next level of your capabilities and uh, no matter how good you are on any given day, any dude in this organization could, could beat you the next day because everybody's working their hardest to hone their skills and to stay as lethal as possible. Yeah, Jared here. Uh just to echo what both these guys just said, I, I've never worked so hard in my life to be mediocre. Uh, it is it is a very humbling experience, and it is a struggle uh, to stay ahead of the curve. Uh, the learning curve is very steep here, and as soon as you think you got a grasp on something, uh, you'll get something new, and it's start from square one all over again. Uh, so be malleable, be flexible. Uh, if you can keep that in the back of your mind uh, and keep the drive going, uh, that's how you'll succeed up here. Murphy, I think the uh, the biggest struggle for 
um, all of the TACPs, you know, once they're they're through OTC and they're they're here, is um, just uh, not being able to uh, be a JTAC with the other uh, sister services. Um, you just have to come up here knowing that right now that's the way that it is, and there's other ways that you can serve and still have a fulfilling time and, and give back to the organization, but you can't let that uh, you know dr uh, drag you down or, or make you cynical. This is Dwayne. I think folks may struggle with just the opportunity of I, going through OTC, there's a lot of information being thrown at you. A lot, some of it you're familiar with, some of it you're not. So, me, uh, but I will say the way we kind of mitigated that and helped folks through that process of developing our kind of OTC cadre. So, they are there to help get you through that process, to help uh, adapt their teaching style to your learning style, uh, and they're able to help you, coach you, mentor through that program. It's a, uh, it's a pretty extreme like uh, high-paced you know eight-month program and some folks can maybe be intimidated by that uh, you've already went through a two-year pipeline you know you had to go through a selection to get here uh, and then you're looking at that eight-month program uh, that train up uh, and you may be a little scared or, or unsure how you'll fit in like every everybody's already mentioned that like uh, around the table here how you're you're surrounded by the best operators uh, so as already has been mentioned be humble lose your ego and um, come on up I think Trey wrote a book about that <laughs> I struggled the most up here to be honest with you guys um, man I was single when I got up here I got married three months before 9-11 my wife worked inside the unit um, and then what I had to start balancing in my world was FOMO of missing out on training and going overseas and everything else and my responsibilities as a husband and a father. Uh, so I struggled with that for a few years up here and I think we didn't have any of the support structures that we have now. So I think as we talk about family um, during the round table, uh, you'll hear that a lot of that support network is going to help you out with that. But you as a man have to figure out how do you balance the fear of missing out and coming in and being so desiring to work and also when it's time to just drop it and go home and be a good husband and father. True. I think, you know, one of the things that I try to encourage guys with in that vein is um, think about your kids being the next generation of people to fill the ranks of this organization. And if, if they're so turned off to this organization because, um, you know, because you put the organization above your family, that's not going to happen. But if you demonstrate, you know, one, the importance of family and, and to the ability to you know focus on family and still be the the patriot uh, that you are um, then I think you're gonna see people that you know kids that want to want to be a part of this unit so awesome we're gonna move to uh, advantages so for a combat controller out there and I'm not I'm gonna be frank with the audience we need combat controllers up here we really do um, we are becoming very short on combat controllers. So if you're out there listening and you're wondering, hey, what advantages are there up there for controller? Why why not just stay out here? Um, that's what we're going to tackle next. So Garen, we're going to look at Garen and Dwayne at this first, but then I want to get the other guys' um, perspectives on this question for sure. So what advantages are there for combat controllers up here compared to where they're sitting at now? Yeah, Garen here. Uh, there's no better place to really fine-tune your craft uh, the problem sets that we tackle here, the amount of uh, money and resources that we throw at exercises is completely unparalleled. You're not going to get anything closer to actual combat uh, than the training exercise they put on here to really get you to the highest level 
uh, of your skills possible? For me, uh, for combat controllers, this is Dwayne. Uh, advantages, obviously, I know out of the two series units, you know, getting your JTAC rating is kind of uh, hard to do. Uh, you're absolutely going to get that rating if you come up here. Uh, we're going to make sure you're JTAC qualified, uh, MQT or IQT, MQT before you start OTC. So that's definitely an advantage. Also, and this kind of applies across all the aspect of our AFSCs. There's just multiple opportunities once you're up here. Uh, there's multiple operational squadrons. Uh, you, you can dab in the assault side of the house. You can go over to the DM side of the house. There's combat development opportunities. Uh, really a place to grow uh, yourself and grow your career. I just want to add on to we're going to have a, a debt one. So debt one handles all our training for the unit. We're going to have a debt one discussion in a few weeks. But right now, I think it's important out there because Dwayne mentioned it. If you're sitting out there as a non-JTAC, and that's most of the combat controllers out there these days, uh, 100% of our combat controllers up here are JTAC qualified. They have to be. And we just did up our first MQT program because we got to solve the problem ourselves. So if you're not a JTAC and you're waiting out there to maybe get a slot in a year or two, uh, there's no reason to wait. Come up to assessment and selection. Um, let us decide if you're right for us, and then we will we will take care of that for you if we think you are, um, if you will be a good fit for us. So keep that in mind. Other guys around the table, though, what about combat controllers? Why here? Yeah, Trey, that's a really good point about uh, standing up MQT. I mean, guys, if you, if you think about it at your units, um, the ability just to say, screw it, we'll just do it ourselves, like only really happens up here, right? So if you come up and you're not a JTAC, we'll get we'll get you there. Um, and along those lines, I know JTAC's kind of the shiny object in the room, but, you know, I've been around controllers my entire career. Uh, sorry to say I've never done any rescue squadron time, but... Uh, Throughout uh, my ST career, uh, one of the unique things that controllers bring to the table, and I think sometimes gets glossed over, is the JTAC qual is not unique to combat controllers, but the assault zone survey stuff, the you know HLZs and landing strips that y'all do, uh, I've seen that being asked for uh, way more than I've seen, hey, can you drop some bombs? That's a given. They, they know that you're going to do that better than anybody in the world. But when you're talking about value to the command, uh, that tidbit, uh, that skill set that you guys bring, uh, that isn't the sexy part, will get placement access for so much more and enable you and your strike forces to reach out into areas that you haven't been able to get to before. And it's uh, probably one of the most valuable things that you guys bring to the table when you start talking about supporting our sister services. It'll be interesting in a couple of years, I think, to see JTAC's importance start waning a lot. And we're really looking for that global access piece. Absolutely. I think it's going to be the biggest piece. That's hard to imagine right now, but I think that's honestly in five years we'll look back and kind of shake or scratch our heads and like man it was JTAC was that big of a deal I mean we're already seeing that you know we had some guys that went out the door recently uh, with one of the one of the other units up here one of the other joint units and um, the the proportionality of Air Force enablers to uh, to that unit you know in terms of what was requested was way out of proportion from what it's been in the past with the counter DEO fight specifically because of the um, the access piece that guys bring but also you know even from the the PJ side of the house um, the expertise that guys have uh, in terms of solving solving problems that are that are not easily solved uh, and being able to think outside the box to get after solving problems so um, we're already seeing that happen yeah, and to, and to your point, Eric, and I, I know you guys listening are wondering, you know, 
what are the problems that you're being asked to solve, right? Like that's kind of a nebulous statement. We pride ourselves on saying that we're the best problem solvers in the nation. And you'll hear that uh, more times than not when you come up here to select. Uh, but that's the funny thing, man, is like you never know what those problems are, right? Uh, it could be, you know, 180 out from what you were expecting. But being able to think on your feet and have that, you know, forward thought process that enables you to think outside the box, pull in resources, leverage your connection with other air assets, that's invaluable. And that's not the same language that our sister services speak up here. Uh, Garen here, 100% agree. Jared, I think a lot of guys may be concerned that they don't bring a whole lot of value with limited experience and maybe not a JTAC wall. But when you come up here and you embody the characteristics that we're hiring against, we will get you to that level to be able to problem solve and to be able to accomplish these missions, to uh, to force project and to, uh, to achieve success. All right, let's talk about um, PJs real quick then. Same question, Jared, we'll start with you. What advantage are there for PJs up here compared to staying out um, in the rescue or the ST side? Yeah, you know, from, from the rescue side, uh, you know, from my understanding, you know, with the Pedro mission going away and, you know, the shift towards uh, civil SAR, shuttle recovery, um, global access, you know, up here, you're, you're not going to have those four month rotations and Siganella sit in PR, you know, you're, you're going to be assigned to a strike force or you're going to be uh, on a troop that, you know, needs a medic, right? Uh, so. You know, the, the skills that you develop here through OTC and what you come up here within your career, uh, what, you, what you bring to the table, those are the things that when stuff hits the, the fan, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, when, when things get weird, for some reason, people turn to their PJ and they're like, hey, what would you do in this situation? Inherently, the skill set that you've been taught throughout your time as a pararescueman for some reason, allows you to take a step back, look at a problem, think about it, and come up with a reasonable solution. And that doesn't have to be technical rescue. That doesn't have to be medicine. Uh, it, it, it can be all sorts of different things. And I think that uh, that it's more of a mindset than a skill set. But up here, uh, that's what everybody's looking for. And, and having the ability to do that, I think, uh, in a joint environment, also kind of in a unilateral environment, uh, especially like a younger PJ that, that's fresh with those skills, uh, brings a lot to the table. I think additionally for, for PJs, um, there's also in all operators really uh, opportunities to segue into additional skill sets. Yeah. You know, sniper, breacher, and other like traditional assaulter and general operator core skill type stuff. So guys can be become masters of their craft and their and their traditional skills as controllers and PJs and TACPs and SR, but there's a lot of opportunities to segue into other things that have a tremendous amount of value and maybe something that uh, you've always wanted to do, but you wouldn't get that opportunity anywhere other than here. Eric, from being out at a guard PJ unit or rescue unit coming here, what's the difference? What's the difference of what your guys are doing there? and? what the guys are aligned against here, PJ-wise? Uh, I think the biggest difference was, you know, the time that I was at the guard unit, we were still doing rotations, you know, overseas uh, to the desert. So, you know, we had a state mission that we were doing uh, that really kept guys kind of uh, honed on their on their patient treatment skills, on their uh, prolonged field care. You know, rotations downrange, I think, helped guys – um, with some of the the T triple C T triple C type care, I think the big thing here is you know guys coming off of OTC are going to be aligned against an assault uh, assault troop, 
And so really the the expertise that you're bringing to the table is not just your uh, medical skills, but really your technical rescue um, expertise that, you know, a lot of guys coming from a, from a rescue side don't have the opportunity to employ that as, as much as they think they would. So um, intent for PJs here is once they get off OTC to, to go, you know, be first line in terms of employing those skills. One thing that I've always noticed about PJs and being, being a controller, this is hard for me to say, um, but PJs have always seemed to me to be the best problem solvers I've ever been around. And I think it's the nature of the diversity of your training, whether it's medical, which is hard, which is ever evolving, whether it's ropes, which there's never one right answer. You've got to make it up on the fly. I think that's, and Jared's right, man. When times get tough, even when I was an instructor on OTC or whatever, I'd always go to our PJ first and say, how can we crack this nut, man? Give me a way. And they always had a unique perspective on how to solve it. So the beautiful thing about being a PJ up here to me is that I think all PJs are just natural, good problem solvers after you get done with your training. Some are better than others. But up here, you actually get to apply um, those problem-solving skills in ways that matter for this country and I think that's what we all seek so why would you not come up here and at least take some opportunity to get to do that let's talk tack peas and Murph's the only tack piece sitting here so we're gonna start with him but Murph if you're a tack piece sitting out there at an ASOS and we're getting more and more tack peas applying which I love um, for either the 17th or for um, units here inside the 724 proper at Bragg what are the advantages? Why come up here? Why not stay out of the ASOS? Well, Trey, I think uh, one of the biggest advantages of being a TACP in general is just that focus. You get to focus on something and get really good at it. And everybody loves being good at something. Uh, up here, you get to be the best at that craft um, at, at CAS. But on top of that, you get to broaden your horizons. You're not pigeonholed into just being that the CAS guy. You still are the CAS guy. You're looked up to everybody here to know your craft and to know it well but you're also a, maybe a machine gunner or a breacher or a sniper or um, you know working with the the DM um, the opportunities out here for you to just to go beyond what you thought you were capable of are um, second to none yeah jumping in here there's Eric um, I think again piggybacking on on what Murph said it's similar to you know the answer that we gave for the the PJs and the combat controllers is that um, you know, you're going to come up and you're going to initially do the job that the Air Force trained you to do, uh, but you're quickly going to branch out into the other problem sets out there. Uh, Murph and I had the opportunity to deploy together, I think, 2018, um, and the stuff that we were doing was stuff that neither of us was trained initially by the Air Force to do. Um, you know, there was a lot of challenges during that deployment. Um, but there was a lot of a lot of rewards in terms of uh, trying to get after problem solving in creative ways. And so part of the beauty of being up here is when you get people from a bunch of diverse backgrounds uh, and you get after problem solving, you know, you have a bunch of different perspectives coming in. Um, and that's that's part of the cool thing about working in the environment up here is just having a bunch of smart people around you that um, can help you solve a problem. Uh, with TACPs traditionally having a, a pretty 
firm understanding of the MCO type fight that's becoming increasingly important as we start looking at the global power competition. Uh, traditionally, you know, combat controller JTACs have been doing a lot of, you know, assault style JTAC stuff. Uh, but that's a, a unique uh, high level of training that I think a lot of TACPs bring in helping us to solve those problems in that GPC realm specifically. Dwayne, I'm going to go to you for this one. So what options are available for TACPs? And we'll hit Murph after you. But right now, from the RASD perspective, um, what options are they when they call up and ask, ask us, hey, where should I go? What's best for me? Right now, there's a couple of different options. Uh, obviously, one being the 17th uh, STS down at Fort Benning. Uh, that's uh, the unit that supports the 75th Ranger Regiment. Uh, they got uh, three deaths spread across the country. Uh, that's that's a, in, in my opinion, that's uh, a good place for TACPs to go. There's also TACPs at the, the, the 24th, the 24 STS, uh, kind of limited on TACP options there, but that's another good option for TACPs. There's other options within the organization as well. Obviously, we have we have a fire shop, we have the DM unit, uh, where uh, TACPs are allowed to go over and be a part of that as well with some additional training. Yeah, I think it's important for the audience to know, especially if you're a TACP out there listening, there's limited slots though. So it's we're having a lot apply and it's going to be very co uh, competitive to get one of these slots. So you need to be in contact with us and just figure out what unit you want to try out for and when's a good time and we can help you have those conversations. Murph, over to you though. So if you were out there today, knowing what you know now, um, what would be guiding your thinking on, on where to go? I think guiding it would just be, just still want to be a part of you know, one of the best organizations here in the military. It doesn't really matter which facet of that you're a part of. I've been a part of uh, every organization inside the, uh, the 724 other than the 17th, and uh, I have left each one of those um, more well-rounded uh, and enjoyed each each position that I've done. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't stop or go back and change any of the uh, the time that I spent at any of those other units within the uh, within the organization. Um, I think you just really have to think about what you value and what you think uh, your future um, may hold for you as far as uh, where you would like to go. But at the end of it, it doesn't matter. If you get picked up here, just go somewhere. So switching over to officers a little bit here, and I think we get as many questions about officers from officers as almost anybody else out there. So obviously, Eric, we're going to start with you, but why is this assignment valuable to officers, and, and when is the best time that they should look at coming up in their career timeline? Uh, let me answer the second of those questions first. I don't think there's a bad time to come up, Trey. Um, I think any time a dude has finished his first, you know, first operational assignment or, or is reaching the tail end of that, if there's interest, then, you know, put the package in, come up and assess. If it's not the right time, um, we'll let you know and, and, you know, come back, come back again. Um, if you think you're too late in your career, uh, I think, you know, perfect example is me. I was well past, you know, I came up here as a major uh, and still spent time at the troop level. So um, I think there's never a bad time to apply. In terms of why it's valuable, you know, the, the list just keeps growing for me. Um, first and foremost, uh, you know, obviously the mission is, uh, I think, is paramount, but then the people are, are second to none. You know, the, the NCOs and the senior NCOs, 
that we work with here, hands down the best the Air Force has to offer. It's been a humbling experience working with uh, guys and gals of this caliber, but it's also been a, a hugely rewarding experience in terms of the growth that happens. Um, you know, the breadth of mission that you're going to see, the depth of mission that you're going to see, and then just the exposure to you know a whole bunch of different things uh, in the short time you know that I've been here uh, is you know is why this assignment's valuable to the rest of the table um, what's been valuable about the officers up here that you've worked with and and how would you convince some of them out there this is the right opportunity for them yeah, Garen here uh, from my perspective a lot of the the officers uh, that I've been exposed to here really get an opportunity to truly lead their men in real operational capacity to truly love leverage the uh, the experience and capabilities that they have assigned to them to go accomplish real-world tasks. And on top of that, there's developmental opportunities that you won't find elsewhere to help further your career, your career progression, and get exposure to a, such a vast variety of different opportunities. You know, working with uh, conventional Army, um, SOF, Air Force, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, etc., um, I've been really impressed with the uh, the Stows and Crows. Uh, I think uh, that their pipeline and their level of leadership is uh, is extremely high compared to everything everyone else across the, um, the military. And I've just uh, I've always been thankful uh, that I've gotten to work under such uh, squared away officers. I think it's that exposure to that joint environment, and I, I, I just don't necessarily think you get that out of the, the ST units or the RQSs. Uh, you're going to come up here, you're going to get exposed, not to the joint as far as DOD military services are concerned, but as Eric was talking earlier, the whole interagency piece, the intel community, you're going to get exposure to all that. So, you know, whatever the next ridge line is going to be uh, for the future here of, of the nation, we're not sure of, but we are sure it's going to be. Uh, it's going to involve that joint environment piece. So get up here, uh, get some exposure to that, understand how it works. I think also what maybe at some of the ST units or some of the RQSs, maybe as an officer, you're more of an administrative type. And maybe, you know, it's been a while since I've been out there, but it's more administrative focused. But up here, you'll get the opportunity to be kind of down at the tactical, understanding the tactical level stuff, the operational level stuff. Yeah, uh, Jared here. Uh, I've had, I think, six different troop commanders in my time up here at the, the 24th, and uh, to, a, to a person, I'd say that every one of them has come away from their troop commander time, uh, being professionally developed, uh, being a smarter officer, having higher emotional intelligence, having a certain degree of maturity about them that they didn't have when they took their time. Uh, in this environment, in the joint environment, you're exposed to so much, and the approval processes for everything that we do up here, I mean, it's out there. You can look at it and you can learn from it. Uh, so coming away from your true commander time, you're not only going to understand what it is to lead uh, senior NCOs, you're also going to understand everything from CONOP development, co-analysis, co-development, all those things that you were taught in uh, the pipeline. You will apply it up here and every one of those goes somewhere. It's not just a training thing. They go somewhere for serious looks uh, for actionable uh, missions that we will actually do up here. So uh, I think it's just always valuable and uh, having good, strong officers uh, is something that we definitely need. Trey, the last last piece that I'll add in, Jared, those are some good thoughts, is there, um, is 
a lot of the the stuff that we're oriented against is ambiguous at times, um, which is really challenging to to try to problem solve against and can be really frustrating at times. Um, but I found that the more you do that, um, it, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but you you definitely build your uh, ability to problem solve against a wide range of things. So kind of just the ambiguous nature of some of the missions that uh, we look at up here, whether they happen or not, um, is definitely a, a developmental aspect of being at this unit. It's a great point. Uh, Stowe, a year off of OTC, came back over and talked to me one day, and he's like, for the last year, I've been getting to try to solve a problem that I have no idea how to solve, but I've got the best people around me helping me solve it, and it actually matters for what this command's doing. Uh, he was loving it, man. So, Eric, a lot of officers, I feel like when I talk to them, they're worried they're not ready and they're nearing the end of that first assignment and that's where it's weird right because then they're going to get another assignment might move them overseas or they're they're getting down to that major timeline after that second assignment so help assuage their fears a little bit man what do you need to come up to at least assessment and selection as an officer what are we looking for i think what what we're looking for is one someone that's motivated to get the get after the job you know to get after mission uh, to someone that you know has a desire to lead and actually wants to um, you know put themselves in the arena and, and put themselves in a challenging arena. Three, someone that's humble. You know, you're going to come up and work with uh, the best operators and the best support in the United States Air Force. And you know, you'll see we get guys that come up with uh, a little bit of an ego, and um, sometimes that that can bite them. Uh, bite him bite him in the proverbial ass at times but some guys recover from it some guys don't um so i think you know those are three things that that people need to be aware of yeah i think what i just want the audience to hear what he didn't say was they got to have two or three rotations overseas in some kind of leadership role i mean some of those are good but it's not mandatory and if you're out there waiting kind of like we talked about enlisted earlier if you're out there waiting for it you're probably missing the opportunity because we can get you a lot of the experience that you need when you're up here, so don't wait. Yeah, Trey, that's a, that's a good point. And uh, for, for those of you officers out there listening, uh, as a senior NCO on the troops out here, I have never once asked the resume of the officer that I'm getting. I've looked for a guy that can lead uh, and make decisions. Uh, officers are in a position of leadership, but that doesn't mean that they're leaders. So the guys that we look to hire here have that uh, innate quality about them uh, to where the guys underneath them will want to follow and trust the decisions that they're going to make. Resume agnostic. They're also going to get developed by the guys here. So, um, you know, I've been developed by everybody at this table as an officer. And, you know, I came up as a dude that was more senior in a in an officer's career, quote unquote. So um, the NCOs here understand what it means to, you know, invest in their officers um, and make them the best that they can be and you know the good officers up here I think understand that that's a two-way uh, relationship and that it's it's their responsibility to also invest you know in their NCOs and, and the people under them so um, yeah it's it's an awesome place to work all right Murph we're gonna go to you man throw out some questions to the table and we'll we'll keep moving forward okay so uh just wondering, what do you guys value about your TACPs um, at your different organizations? Yeah, Jared here. So I have uh, two TACPs on uh, my troop, and 
you know, the number one thing that I value in these guys is their subject matter expertise uh, when it comes to CAS and the JTAC rating. Um, they're second to none, you know, uh, and they also, for whatever reason, TACPs just seem to be a little bit more rangerified than controllers, and they are great with that. Uh, you know, the second thing on that ladder that I look for with these guys is just, you know, their basic operator skills. And it seems like they come out squared away uh, with their tactics, uh, they're proficient in their weapon systems, and uh, they're ready to be led. You know, they're good followers when they come up, and uh, when they make that position of leadership, they step right into it and they knock it out of the park. Thanks, man. Yeah, I was going to uh, hit on that um, about the uh, the ranger-fied-ness or the rigidity. I think it's a good balance to have here, you know, just kind of like you've got uh, rangers and SF up at the, the other organization across the street. It's a it's a good uh, counterbalance. Absolutely. Totally agree. <clears throat> All right. Another question. Somebody throw one out. So I've got a question. This is Eric. I've got a question for the table. Um, you know, when's a good time to leave this unit and, and why? Hey, this is Dwayne. Uh, from my perspective, yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, if you're if you come up uh, OTC, you're a solid operator, but you're not looking to progress and take on any leadership roles, uh, then maybe it's time to step back out and take some of that knowledge back out to the two series units. Like if you're not willing to come up here, uh, you have to do your team time, uh, move up. Uh, into team leader positions, up into the troop chief positions. If you're not willing to do that, then I think you come up for you know four, five, six years, whatever it is. But then it's time for you to move on. We're looking for folks not to not only to come up and do the job to operate, but we need folks to step up and be leaders and lead the teams, lead the next generation. I think also another reason uh, you may want to leave if you do want to get promoted. Uh, we have limited you know E8, E9 positions up here. Sometimes it's good to step out. Uh, outside uh, the fence here, get some experience, exposure uh, to what's going on uh, in the SD community, RQS community, and then maybe come back as a leader. Uh, we are we are not, I guess, on par with the Army and Navy, where you can just hang out uh, and make E8 and E9 by just virtue of being here uh, for a significant amount of time. Uh, we're kind of restricted, you know, restrained by the Air Force of how many E8, E9 positions we have. So, from my perspective, you know, if you could. That, those are two reasons I think you would need to step outside or leave the unit. Yeah, Dwayne, I think uh, that's a good point. You could distill that down to whether you're still willing to serve the unit or you're will or you're looking to be, you know, more self-serving. I think if you hit the the latter end, that's probably your time to go because uh, this unit needs people that are going to to serve its various needs and not people that are just going to serve for you know what they want to do. Right. And to this, is Jared, it's kind of back you up on that one Murph uh, you know there there are multiple opportunities for you to have positions up here outside of the 2-4 STS or the 17th STS if your ops tempo is so high or you've just been running a gun for so long you need to take a knee and hydrate it's really easy to speak up and say hey it's time for me to take a break and there's opportunities to keep you here in North Carolina there's opportunities to keep you within the tier and, and have those jobs uh, within the command still. Uh, and then the second point on that, if you're talking about kind of like on an individual level, you know, what are, what's the driving decision uh, for you to make that choice of when it's time to stick around, when it's time to leave? And kind of the mantra that I keep and I, I appreciate this to my guys is, 
there's a fine line between being skeptical and cynical and I'm totally fine with skepticism like if you're not asking questions of you know the people that are making decisions for you uh, that's what we pay you to do think outside the box but the second that you start getting cynical and you go from asking questions about why decisions are made to uh, trashing decisions that are made and you become that cynical person you're starting to go down a path that uh, is not going to be fulfilling for you and that's probably a good time to look inside and say that uh, maybe I've kind of hit my, uh, my peak here at the end. I think also, just to piggyback on this, what I've seen, the best problem solvers I've seen come through here in the decades that I've been here are guys who keep evolving, who don't want to just hang out. If you stare at the same thing day after day, your ability to solve new problems is starting to um, really deteriorate. So I think guys moving around inside the unit like your Murphs and your uh, Dwayne's who have done a lot of different positions in here, those guys are solving problems at a different level that I think a lot of people outside the fence line probably can't even comprehend. And I think the second thing is if you leave and go back out to, to a two series or rescue unit, there's a career progression there too. It's not like you're not going to be beholden to that too. At some point you're going to get a development position forced on you whether you like it or not you might be an instructor somewhere too so I think up here you get so much control over what your next move is uh, it's just worth um, investing time up here why else though Eric why what do you think from your perspective uh, I think a couple more reasons that you know it's potentially a good time to leave is one if you're interested in doing something else you know I think sometimes there's a there's a stigma of hey guys come up here and, and they have to be you know, 100% bought in for, you know, uh, six, eight, 10 years. And the reality is that, you know, there might be, there might be something that you're interested in going and pursuing. And I think my answer to that would be absolutely go do it, you know, and if, if the cards are on the table to come back at some point in the future, you know, do so. I think the other one that, um, you know, is a tough one to say is if it's time for your family, you know, for you to, to, um, look, somewhere else for a bit then you know that can be a tough decision because it might not be the one that you want to make um but strong families are what makes this unit strong and and they're what makes the the air force strong and so i would say if if your family is uh you know in a position where they need to take a knee and there's not the opportunity to do that inside the organization then that might be another um reason for leaving you know at least for a time and then and then looking to come back I know there's a whole lot of rumors that still exist outside the fence line that sometimes once you go up, you might not ever escape the fence line again. Uh, so anybody experienced, like, I don't think that's true anymore. Eric, from your perspective, are you seeing that anymore? No, I mean, from my perspective, it's a volunteer organization. Uh, if you are not volunteering to be here anymore, then, you know, we'll find, find a way for you to go work somewhere else. And we've done that, you know, in my time here and, and not in a bad way. You know, guys have said, hey, I, I'm interested in going and pursuing other parts of, of the Air Force or even other parts of, uh, you know, the the greater um, United States government and, you know, have left, you know, with, with uh, Godspeed and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Two things I want to mention on that um, because this is important. A lot of the reasons why we can do talent management now and move guys in and out of the organization is because we're a lot fuller than we used to be, especially on the PJ side. So PJs, if you're listening, take this to heart. Um, we're eventually going to be full on PJs, and then we're going to work. Um, as guys leave, we can hire more, just like regular rescue and ST units are doing. So just keep that in mind. In the past, 
we could bring 20 up to selection. If we wanted to hire all of them, we could. Those days are kind of in our past, in our rearview mirror now. So it's going to be a lot more competitive for slots like being a PJ up here. So again, contact the recruiters, us, if you're interested, and uh, we can guide you when the best time to maybe come up to a selection is. All right, next question. Who's got one? I got one kind of along the same vein, Garen here. Uh, what what can my family expect as far as support, uh, routine, and my time home and away? I think that's a great concern for a lot of people with families that are potentially coming up here. And from our previous discussion, I don't want people with families and children to be scared away of coming up here just because of the op, ops tempo. I think the uh, Murphy here, the the level of support for your family is unparalleled. Um, you've got everything um, that the big Air Force. Um, has except you've got it in greater capacity so uh, just from you know marital counseling psych docs to retreats to uh, education anything you could think of like we've we've got it here um, to help help your family stay healthy yeah I mean I think uh, you know at least for the guys at this table um, you know that are that are at the operational squadrons right now all have kids that are you know elementary school junior high I don't know that we got any high school age, age kids so um, man the unit is made up of, of people with families uh, and we understand the importance of having you know strong family connections I think the community that surrounds uh, this area as well is is definitely aware of that and you know does its best to support military families I don't you know, don't want to sugarcoat anything. It's a high ops tempo up here. Uh, guys are on the road a lot, um, but we also find ways for you know guys to to take a knee when needed, for families to take a knee, and you know when guys are gone overseas, TDY, whatever. Uh, you know the unit comes alongside and you know uh, supports their family. So for for me personally, it's been the best family assignment that we've been in in my 17 years in the Air Force. This is Dwayne here. I think another thing that helps out with the family piece is the cycle that the operators are on. Uh, there's a there's a kind of a uh, you know alert, train up kind of deployment type cycle that we rotate on. So there's some predictability there. So you're able to communicate with your family, uh, plan. You know you got downtime built into the schedule there. So you're you're able to take care of the home life and have a, have a pretty successful work life balance. I absolutely agree with all, all the, the points you guys just put out. And Eric, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the community uh, surrounding this organization. Um, this ops tempo and everything was definitely a concern for, for my wife uh, coming up here with two kids and already putting in a, a pretty full career before getting up here. Um, but we found nothing but a tremendous amount of support and just a, a friendly, supportive community. And then again, to touch on, on your point, Dwayne, about the cycle, the ability to be home, to be able to help coach football and soccer, depending on the type of jort that we're in. There's a lot of those opportunities. And that the stress on the family unit, some of it is uh, is operational requirements. Some of it's self-inflicted, and it takes a great amount of uh, uh, humility and maturity to be able to speak up and say you maybe need a lateral move or you know something to help ease some of that burden. And I've never seen a guy uh, catch a bunch of crap from his peers for reinvesting in his family while still maintaining uh, a valuable position within this organization. Awesome. Another question. Who else? What do we got? 
I'll throw one out there. This is Dwayne. We're very fortunate here. Not only do our operators go through a selection process, but our support personnel also go through a kind of a you know a uh, selection process. Uh, so we're able to kind of hand select the folks that come up and work with us. Also, there's some unique opportunities for support personnel to integrate with the teams, the operational teams, uh, over the two four as well as over the data mask unit, you know, your comm folks, some intel folks, logistics. Have some unique opportunities here. I would just throw out this question: What what have been your experiences? I guess with support personnel and how you integrate with them or how you just in general work with them on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, uh, Jared here, Dwayne, that's a good question. Um, I would say the support here uh, up at the unit uh, is the gold standard uh, that other units should be held against. Uh, from our OT- RTOs uh, to our electronic warfare to our EOD guys to vehicles, uh, you name it, these guys um, you, you never miss a beat uh, if you're training or deployed or whatever you're doing. Uh, if you need any support, any logistics, uh, they are going to be the most highly trained, most capable uh, support staff that you would ever have. So uh, it's never a concern of mine that something will not work or won't be prepped or I can't get from point A to point B. Uh, they'll move heaven and earth to make it happen for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Garen here. Uh, the, the support folks here are absolutely a part of the team and uh, the demand is high for them, but so is the appreciate, appreciation from the, uh, from the operator side of the house. And we try to include a lot of the support guys in as much as we can, whether that's on the range, getting them tandem jumps, uh, including them on exercise and deployments, because the, uh, the support they provide, we wouldn't be able to do our, our operations without that. And we expect a high degree of performance and we do the best that we can to reward that, that high level of performance. Uh, Murph here, uh, over the data mass unit, I got a pretty um, unique look at the level of support that we have. And uh, I just wanna kind of stop using that word in regards to the data mass unit. Um, over there, a lot of the support folks are on the same level uh, as the operators as far as their training goes. Uh, when I was a team leader there, you know, I only had one other, um, one Zulu career field in my team of eight guys. The rest were all uh, other traditionally considered support AFSCs, but uh, when we would deploy, you know, they weren't support. I, I kind of supported what they were doing. So there are some unique opportunities up here for support folks if you're thinking about coming out. This is just kind of a, a question to the listeners out there as well as to the table. Can you think of any reasons why you would not come to selection? Um, personally, uh, I think there, there are pretty few, um, and I couldn't, I couldn't think of any um, myself, so I'll just open it up to the table. I don't, I don't have a great answer for, <laughs> for that question, Murph. Uh, this is Garen again. Um, because even if you come up to selection and you don't get hired, uh, it's still an invaluable experience. You learn a lot about yourself. Uh, you learn what your strengths are and what your weaknesses are. And you can take that back. You can work on it. You can reassess. Or you can just become a greater asset to the organization that you return to. Um, there's there's not, in, in my opinion, I, I can't think of a, a single reason why coming up to selection and putting yourself on the on the line to, to see if you have what it takes or what we're looking for uh, is not a good idea. Absolutely. I, I, man, I can't footstop that enough, what Garen just said. But I think also if you just got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I willing to go all in 
because if you're not all in, man, you're not going to fit here. And that's what we're going to look for in selection. We want you to come to A&S because I think you might figure out at A&S that I am all in. You might figure out pieces and parts of yourself that you didn't know existed yet. And that's because every person around this table has been an evaluator. And I, I think of them more as mentors um, going through the selection process. They don't get to interact probably as much as they want to. Uh, but your evaluators, when you're coming through, are there, and the, the feedback they get and the feedback you get from your peers, the growth opportunity is immeasurable. And you can't even imagine it, like Garen was saying, until you come up. So it is hard to imagine people not wanting to come up. But again, if you're not all in, this organization is going to eat you up. Yeah, and to add on to that, Trey, this Jared here, you know, you have to come up here for the right reasons, too. Uh, like he said, if you're not all in, you're not going to fit. And if if you're coming up here and you just want to, you know, be a cool guy and, and do that, it, it ain't going to work for you either. You know, before you make that choice to, to assess, take a good look at, you know, what you want out of your military career. Uh, we want the guys that are going to show up to work every day and grind, uh, get better and earn that beret every day uh, and keep the mentality that they should have never graduated OTC and they shouldn't be on the troops. If you bring that to the fight, you'll be fine. Yeah, question for the group. Uh, this is Jared here. Uh, can you guys briefly uh, describe some of the leadership opportunities and professional development that you've been able to take part of here at the command? Uh, Murph here. I've gotten to do um, a few things that were, you know, I never thought I'd get to do. I got to do a, an interagency communications course um, where, you know, I learned to interact with uh, other members of the government um, and the country teams of embassies. Uh, also done. Um, you know, pretty high level, like executive leadership type courses uh, put on by the RASD team that, um, you know, people pay a lot of money on the outside world to go to and that are incredibly formative and help you realize, you know, your own potential. Yeah, to echo on what Murph said this, Eric, I just sat in, you know, a leadership development course uh, hosted by our, our RASD guys uh, two weeks ago, you know, and you would think that 17 years in the military, like you've kind of got your leadership style figured out, and there's definitely some truth to that. But the guy that we brought in to you know, help facilitate the course, you know, the course was on leadership and, and organizational culture. Um, man, I left that that week definitely uh, better able to understand, you know, how I'm best postured uh, or or where I'm most successful as a leader and how to surround myself, you know, with uh, the people that I need to round out areas where I'm not, and then how to understand uh, just the culture and, and the organization that we work inside better to make it more effective. So, um, you know, immense opportunities to, to better yourself and better the, the organization that you work in. Just to expound on the development piece of the RASD, that is a, a unique option, opportunity, I think, that we offer up here at this unit. I don't think it's it, it's anywhere else in the SD community or the RQS community, but our development program has like three pillars to it. And uh, the first pillar being the soft skills that, that we're just talking about, the leadership courses, speaking, writing, negotiations, whatever it is you think you may need to succeed, we offer a course like that. Uh, so you're able to not only better yourself, I mean, at the end of the day, we want to make you a better person, but uh, in turn, that's going to make us a better organization. Uh, the other element to that is educational opportunities. We've got a pretty uh, robust network of educational opportunities. I know a lot of folks uh, who want to pursue bachelor's, master's degrees and stuff, so we've got a robust, robust network of 
educational opportunities out there, so we kind of manage that to help folks uh, who come up here uh, to broaden their education. And then the third part of that development program is the transition piece, uh, where we we bring you up here, uh, we run you into the ground, uh, but we also want to want to take care of you and treat you right when we send you back out. Whether you're retiring, whether you're separating, we're going to take care of you and get you the, the everything you need to have a proper transition out of the military or uh, back to the regular Air Force. This is Garen here. Uh, our organization does do a good job of providing developmental opportunities, but outside of that, there's also a lot of uh, sister service integrated uh, developmental opportunities and courses that you can go to to progress as a leader, learn more about the command, and uh, learn how to be more of an effective leader. So not only are we tackling that here within our organization, but there's a tremendous number of uh, opportunities uh, with our sister services. Yeah, that's a good point, Garen. Jared here. Uh, you have the ability up here to uh, develop as a leader and professionally as much as you would like to. Uh, if we think of traditional Air Force leadership, and we're talking about ALS, NCO Academy, or Senior NCO Academy, uh, those of you that have been to those know what, what you get out of it, and a lot of it's not applicable to you as an operator. Uh, when you start going to the development courses that the command offers, uh, you see how you're integrated into the national defense strategy, what a comp plan is, and what strategic pictures look like and how you fit into it. Uh, that kind of knowledge uh, enables you as a leader to speak uh, professionally and educated. Uh, when you start developing plans and are looking to put those into action, uh, knowing who to go to and when to go to that person uh, is very valuable uh, up here, especially in the joint environment. I just want to add before we move off this subject that as a civilian, I was here for 11 years as an operator, but as a civilian, I've got some of the most incredible um, pro dev opportunities. And one of them was a leadership course with our Army counterparts, kind of going along with what Garen and Jared are saying. It was a two week course um, that blew my mind. And I, was, I got to attend it with a troop, really a team of guys from one of the squadrons over there, and they had just lost a team member overseas. And so going through that course led by Tony and another guy that um, Eric was talking about earlier, the, the course he went through, it was just a, a humbling course where you get to see warriors learn more about themselves, their egos pushed against the whole course, they're having to come out of their comfort zones. And by the end, I saw a whole bunch of leaders um, leave that course a lot better than they were when they came in. And I don't think a lot of people outside of the fence line are getting those opportunities. I hope I'm wrong, though. The other thing I got sent to is an executive coaching course out in California for 10 days to where you learn how to develop others just through asking questions. And, and I guess the whole point to all that is we see what the gaps are up here, and we start plugging them up, sending our guys to courses that will help us get better and push the – push the organization forward. Guys like Eric who are in a key leadership position, he's about to move into another one and he's going through that leadership course. I guarantee coming out, he's a better leader than he was when he started that course on day one. So I think it's very unique up here. And I think Dwayne and the Rasty shop are doing an excellent job at getting those opportunities out there. Shout out to Victoria who's leading that effort for us. All right, one more question. Who's got one? Send it. Yeah, it was Garen. I got one more. Uh, for, for guys that are considering uh, coming up here to assess uh, how do they get exposure to life within this organization prior to committing to selection? Garen, to answer that question, is there uh, one, there's opportunities out there for guys to come up and you know train with you know at least one of the ops squadrons up here. Um, 
you know, we push opportunities out all the time uh, through the the 720th. Um, I don't know whether all those opportunities make it down to the individual team level. So what I would say is if if you're interested in um, participating in, in training up here to get some exposure, then use your use your chain of command and, and ask them or just come up on the net and say, hey, I'd like to get up to uh, to the unit up there and you know potentially see some of what they do um, and they can reach out to us and I'll you know I'll move heaven and earth to get guys up here to, to be able to see what we do because I think once you do you'll you know you'll get the bug and, and want to be a part of it yeah Jared here uh, for, for the audience out there if, you, if you're interested and this is something that you're taking into consideration uh, don't overlook the power of the bro network I know you guys all have friends up here it's a simple phone call away um, if they're not available to train with you and that ask comes out from your unit, uh, they'll find somebody that can. And we're more than willing to come to you or you come to us and do whatever you'd like. So go ahead and use it. Who, uh, who at the table supported the organization before they came up here? Three. Is that it? Well, I didn't MLAT. MLAT, so that's what I did too. And I know Dwayne to say the same thing of – I was sitting in my unit up at McCord, and they offered the chance, so I was a bike chaser on one of the MLATs and was sold. Like a level of professionalism and, and tactical expertise that I saw on that mission uh, convinced me. So what we're just trying to say is we're trying to give you the opportunity to come up and just witness what we're doing and make a decision make a decision for yourself. Uh, but I promise you, if you're surrounded by guys at this table right here, um, it's going to be hard to say that's not somewhere where I'd like to be and be surrounded by that level of operator. So we're going to go around the table uh, for closing comments. Um, Murph, we're going to start with you. Round us out. I just want to thank you guys for listening to, to us talk about this today. Um, and I just would uh, just ask yourself, if you're thinking about coming up here, are you all in? And um, what reason would you not have to come up here? Because the ball's in your court the entire time. So come out. So, again, this is Eric. Um, I think one of the, one of the potential dangers of something like this is you get a bunch of people from one organization sitting around a table talking about their organization um, and talking about the, all the awesome things that it uh, that make make the organization up and you know people listening in can you know get the impression that um, you know that there's a big ego that uh, you know that they're they've got some blind spots to other things that are out there um, what I would say is that you know, I think as an organization, we try to do a pretty good job of um, remaining grounded and remaining focused on what our role is. Uh, and that's not to say that there's not some phenomenal uh, units out there. You know, the, the two operational units that I was at before coming up here were both very foundational in, you know, building me as a, as a leader today. Um, but I would not, I wouldn't go back. You know, this is, this is the place that I, you know, uh, want, wanted to be and that I want to be and continue to want to be. So, yeah, thanks. This is Dwayne. First of all, just thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. A big shout out to Trey for putting this together. A really huge asset here to get the information out to the folks about our unit, about the ANS process, uh, and just a lot of detailed information. So it's a great resource. I would also say, like, if you're out there and you're looking for something else, uh, if, if once you finish the pipeline, you got to your first unit and you're like, wow, it's not all I thought it was going to be, like, give this 
give this place you know some serious thought about coming up here uh, if you if you're kind of comfortable being comfortable then maybe you want to stay where you are but if you're okay stepping outside of your comfort zone uh, drop an application come on up push yourself a little bit step outside of that comfort zone and come up and give it a shot you're gonna be a better person whether whether it works out or not at selection you're gonna learn a ton about yourself and you become a better person you're gonna push yourself like you never thought you could push yourself before so it's a really unique opportunity and I just throw the challenge out there to you come on up all right Jared here uh, thanks for listening guys thanks to Trey for putting this on and thanks to the guys at the table uh, just like Dwayne said uh, Take the opportunity because it's there for you. Uh, if you're one of the guys that's thinking about doing it, it's in your head. Let that seed grow a little bit and be uh, the guy that takes the next step. Don't go through the rest of your career thinking maybe I should have done this and then just let it slip away. So thanks again, guys. Yeah, this is Garen. Uh, happy to be a part of this discussion. Hopefully it's been uh, valuable for all you guys listening. And uh, again, just this move to come up here has not only been phenomenal uh, for me from a career perspective, but watching my family uh, grow together within this community and this command has been uh, beyond what I ever thought was possible. It's been been the best career choice so far. All right. Thanks for me for coming out and spending time with us. That is the inaugural roundtable. Uh, if you have any suggestions uh, for questions or from AFSCs to bring in, please do so. We'll get some support folks in here eventually, and uh, we appreciate y'all tuning in.